Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We are here today to talk about two glossy profiles that came out in the last week and the death of Prince Philip, the longest serving consort <laughs> in, it's, in it's, the UK history. Okay, it's really, that is what we're going to talk about, direct and to the point. Um, <laughs> if, you know, not logically obvious, though it's obvious in the minds of Juliet and Amanda, and that's where we are. We won't be starting there. We'll come back to it because it's, you know, a downer in many ways. Um, you know, sending our best to the royal family as they grieve. In the meantime, let's get started with these glossy cover stories, beginning mm-hmm. with Vogue's cover of Amanda Gorman, who you may not have known before, though she was pretty famous. And now you certainly do because she was the poet laureate that spoke at the inauguration in the gorgeous yellow coat. Um And I think that now that we have, I cannot believe it, but almost three months distance from that event, she is by far the most memorable part of the historic and joyful inauguration. Joyous inauguration. Absolutely. She gave a beautiful performance and it was also like a moment of community that I think we have all really been lacking, certainly in politics, but also in the pandemic of just everyone at once was watching it. And it was an oration. It was like, we haven't gotten in so long. Totally. And being moved by it simultaneously and uh, just getting to experience it all at once, which, and, and also to experience like a moment of hope and insight as Americans, which is certainly been rare in, yeah. in the history of America, some might say, but certainly in the last four years and year. So it's great to see her on the cover of Vogue. She looks wonderful. She Incredible was, photos. 
on Incredible the cover photos. and on the inside. Really, really beautiful photos. Also, there's one where she's wearing like um, a really extravagant ballerina gown. Yes. Um, That's that, also my favorite. Oh, I just, I loved it. It's such a beautiful photo. She looks so at ease. You actually don't see her face, but her body is in an angle and like in the, a relaxed position, I think, where it just seems like easy and, and moreover, like stunning. And it was such a cool photo. I haven't, I haven't really thought to myself, wow, I love this Vogue photo in quite some time. And for that, I really did. Yes. Uh, that is the Alexander McQueen dress, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I agree. It's very beautiful. She was shot by Annie Leibovitz and styled by Gabriella Karifa Johnson, um, who also styled the, uh, Kamala Harris photographs mm-hmm. and also the cover. And I believe the Paloma Alcesser, uh, cover from a few months ago and became mm. the first black woman to ever style a cover of Vogue. So, you know, like we have discussed on this podcast that it's been discussed in the world at large that Vogue has a um, not good history with featuring black creators and even shooting black women. Um, there are often problems with lighting and not knowing how to style them. And this felt like a moment where they got it right. And it's very beautiful. It's a beautiful cover. I also thought the piece by Dorian St. Felix was really lovely. And I'll be honest, I don't always expect a ton of insight from a Vogue profile. I'm kind of there looking for the pictures, but she managed to turn it into like a, a, like a thoughtful examination of what it means to be Amanda Gorman right now and what America looks for in an icon and the kind of the distance between the person itself and the phenomenon that even the Vogue cover refers to. And I thought it was, it was interesting. It was thoughtful. And like, I I imagine that it has been exciting, but also quite strange to be Amanda Gorman these last few months. Oh, totally. One thing I really liked about Dorian's writing was I thought she did a really great job of capturing Amanda Gorman's greatness and how it manifests in simple ways in like Amanda Gorman's day-to-day life. Um, and what was really cool about that was so much of that greatness comes across according to Doreen through her evident like love of words and like mm-hmm. speaking and stringing together, like just, you know, stringing together sentences in, in her day-to-day life. And I thought that was really cool because so frequently, um, this is, this is spoken a lot about directors in a sort of annoying way where it's like, they really live their craft. They really commit to their craft. <laughs> but I just felt like Amanda Gorman's, craft and her excellence and achievement in it was so was so obvious throughout the piece and Doreen did a really good job um conveying that without actually having to say it and it was it was like kind of thrilling we're just like okay this is a person who is being chronicled at like a the beginning of her career and we can see it'll be a long one that hopefully leads to the white house per her wishes as expressed in the piece it does a great job of capturing the person as a person yeah. Also identifying what makes the, the person's talent and unique skills and also the person in a moment. Um, and also like how a moment functions in 2021 in this kind of like bizarre, but sometimes exhilarating. And I would say in the case of um, her appearance at the inauguration, uh, like media world. So it was just exciting. It was great to see. I have a question for you. Yes. Are you so impressed at Vogue's reactiveness? They have this cover for the May issue. By the time the inauguration happened, they'd certainly shipped 
February, probably were close to closing March. So they did this relatively quickly for a magazine like Vogue, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I was curious if that's like impressive or not, or standard. I think I'm glad they did it. I think it's probably just within the timeline of what's feasible for them and kind of what's standard. I think like what doing three months, cause we're almost like three months from the inauguration itself mm-hmm. to the actual, um, newsstand is not like pushing anything off the, well, actually it probably is because I believe that Vogue schedules several months in advance, but just in terms of like production, et cetera, I think that's a, a, a doable production cycle, but I'm really glad that they did it. As you know, as you noted, like she was like very well known and established before the inauguration, but the inauguration is kind of what made her certainly a national and probably just like an international cover star. And I think it's really exciting that she already is a cover star. She's certainly worthy of it, but I don't know that Vogue would have acknowledged that a couple years ago and that's on Vogue, but it's exciting to see that it's happening now. Totally. It, it's a cool, it's a cool shift. Also just feels, it feels so timely. And I feel Mm -hmm. like so frequently these covers feel timely because of like a release that's pegged to, and it's like Mm -hmm. all very orchestrated. And this just feels timely because she's talented and her talent became obvious to everyone recently. Um, it's a, like a very nice piece. Also one thing that really struck me, they did it in person that, um, yes, that this was, this did feature the classic Los Angeles hike between subject (laughs) and profile writer. Um, uh, that was really notable. I mean, the celebrity profile, it's, it's here to stay. It survived the pandemic and it's back. One nice small moment, um, in the piece is that at one point, Amanda Gorman asks the writer, are you going to start this with one day? I met Amanda Gorman in Los Angeles, which is just like a funny acknowledgement of the tropes of the celebrity profile and poking (laughs) it. And as you said, like she, she is a person who works with words. So she is aware of how these things get put together, um, and making jokes about it. I was delighted by it, but yeah, they, they had a picnic, I guess, somewhere in LA. They did all outdoor activities. Seems, seems COVID safe. Yes. Um, but I, I guess it's coming back. We'll see. We'll see how many people want to do things in person or are willing to do things in person. And by how many people, I mean, how many publicists are willing to set it up versus this is is one of my main questions about the celebrity industrial complex post COVID is will celebrities do junkets? Will they do like a press day or will the press day continue to be like sitting on zoom or like, will it only be junkets? So it's just like, you can come to me or you can zoom in. Like, I'm just really wondering how that's going to go because there used to be like, you know, an example, just like the bachelor on the day after his premiere would do radio show and podcast and Kimmel and the, and Ellen and like have like five stops in Los Angeles area in a day. Like, will that happen again? I don't know. I don't know. And that's a good question from like a, a health perspective and public health and kind of how we put the world back together post COVID. And then I think there's a real financial question to it as well, because all of those things cost a lot of money. The junket is usually at a hotel and it involves renting a lot of space and it costs money, not just for the people putting on the junket, which is usually a studio or production company, but also um, the people going to the junket because it usually involves travel. There is like, do the media 
And kind of content companies want to pay. Does the do the production companies want to pay? I I think they've all saved a lot of money in the last year. Has that translated to like actually still having people see their things? I don't know. So maybe they'll decide that it's worth the marketing cost, but it definitely costs money to do all of that. Oh yeah. And it's like, well, the only shows that get guests be like, you know, Corden, Kimmel, Fallon, and Kelly Clarkson. And like everyone else is like, yeah, I'll, I'll zoom in. I, I don't know. Are we, I just, I don't know what we're going back to with celebrity guest culture. It's a great question though. We were just talking before we recorded. I don't know what we're going back to like with real person culture as well. Yeah, so I don't, me neither. And I think for every dollar saved or, you know, booking that was available that wasn't available for because before because Zoom is easier, there's also a lot of people who miss production values, a lot of people who do think that there are better segments in person. Like for sure. It does seem that things are trending back that way. But I think you're right, right to identify something like a junket where like maybe the inefficiencies um or something that had kind of gotten out of control and maybe wasn't serving anyone the way we wanted it to will change in the future. Right. Well, that leads us to our next profile, which mm-hmm. is Justin Bieber in the pages mm-hmm. of GQ mm-hmm. written by your husband, Zach. Was this in person? Um, no, it was not. It was via Zoom. Interesting. So that I don't ever think was on the table. I'm trying to think. I'll be honest. I know very little about this. I read the piece today like everybody else. Um, and that's you're not, kind a, you're of, not a Bieber fan like I am. And I wouldn't say I'm a fan. fan. I'm like, there's like royal watchers. I'm like a Bieber watcher. I just yes. observe what he's putting out there. Yes. And, and I do as well. And he has been certainly one of the major pop culture stories of our la- of the last 10 to 15 years at this yeah. point. Is it, It's probably only 10, right? No, it's about 15. Okay. I mean, wow, we're old. See. Um, one less lonely girl, I think, came out in around 2009. Right. So that's about 12 years. Right. Um, but this was via Zoom because Justin Bieber has been astronomically famous for over a decade now. And as the piece uh explains in some detail, has a lot of people in his life and is living a life that or was living a life. Um, determined by and shaped by fame and a particularly unique experience and is working through that in real time. But Justin Bieber doesn't live like the rest of us. So, and he never has and probably never will again, which is kind of what I think is one of the the bittersweet aspects of the story. Um, So I think he's just, he's zooming in and zooming out because he's, he's Justin Bieber. He's kind of in his own space. One thing, one of my personal takeaways about Bieber that I think the story either reinforced or I read some, read some, read with confirmation bias Mm -hmm. is that there's a real like absence that he never kind of internalized the action and consequence continuum. And, um, that was evident to me when I watched his New Year's Eve performance and he like sprayed champagne everywhere. And he's like, oh shit, I have to dance there now. It was a bad idea. I need a towel. (laughs) Like sort of the 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 short circuit of like, I've done something and then here are the consequences. Mm-hmm. I don't think play out the same way when you're as famous as, as Justin Bieber. And so it seems like part of this lat the latter days of Biebs is sort of grappling with a lot of consequence that he didn't see coming in his earlier days, perhaps. And I thought that was interesting that, um, he spoke about the difficulty of his first year of marriage. I can't believe we're like in year three of 
his marriage, by the way. Uh, but they seem really like committed. And by all accounts, yeah, it is like a, a a functioning and marriage that they're both really invested in. I mean, the the one piece of behind the scenes info that I can offer is that I remember when Zach came out of the room where he was zooming with Justin Bieber, like you do. Um, and he was like pretty moved by the conversation because it is a very different Justin Bieber from the Justin Bieber that we saw like in every documentary, every bit of reported foot, every, you know, bit of TMZ video or reporting or blog posts. I mean, there have been a lot of mistakes and bad acts that have been in the very public eye. And so he's working on it. I like, I think he's really earnestly trying to address some of those consequences and remake his life in a way that is more livable and, you know, less kind of white hot fame and, um, possibly more accountable. I mean, you know, time will tell on all of that, but it definitely seems like he's trying. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It definitely does. I think, I think that also the role of religion in this is like surprising to me as someone who doesn't have a really strong re- relationship with religion or mm-hmm. God um, or or spirituality. I, I think every interview Bieber has done in the last few years and like all parts of his presentation, including his music, definitely emphasizes the importance of religion. And I, I've heard that's and read that's true for their relationship too. And I, I think that's just sort of like, I find it interesting because I think in so many ways, like religion is not like quote unquote cool. And it's not like necessarily sellable in the way that so much of Justin Bieber's oeuvre is sellable. And I I just find that like really fascinating. And I also admire it to like hold steadfast to something like that to help it like guide you. Um, I kind of admire it because such like a a willful act. Yeah. You get the sense that he went through sort of an unimaginable 10 years as a young person growing up as one of the most famous people in the world, which he just did. And we we talk a lot about this, right? That that just changes. Celebrities live differently. And at that age to have that level of fame and everything that goes with it and um, that level of exposure and that level of people looking at you, your life is never really going to be normal. You're not just going to like go home and be like, okay, now I'm going to- That's it go to like, you know, go to college and, you know, maybe I'll pursue a different career. Like that's, it's, it's done for you. So I think that he has been looking for ways and not just like schedules and, you know, exercise though. It seems like all of that's happening, but I I think belief systems in a way of like understanding his life and, and putting, I don't want to say normal, but, um, making some meaning of his particular existence and trying to feel like he has a say in it, because I think that's another thing that comes up in the piece is that there are so many people around you and you're young and like so much is going on that you kind of don't even, aren't even making your own decisions and not just about your career, but about like who you are. So I, I, it's clearly that his faith is one of the ways in which he's making those decisions. And I think you're right that it's not, like quote cool capital C cool or whatever to, to speak about it in this way, but it means a lot to him. And I think he speaks about it like pretty beautifully, but like yeah. as, as someone else who doesn't share his faith, it's not alienating the way that he speaks about it. Yeah, totally. Um, 
also kind of interesting that he distances himself from Carl Lentz, basically. Yeah. Um, by saying like, you know, being a famous pastor can be a different kind of celebrity. And yeah. And, um, that was interesting. That also just kind of like confirmed to me that like, he's actually looking for something beyond that. Um, so I don't know. Good luck, Justin Bieber. I think he, I think he means to do the right thing. I don't know if he always does. Well, I think he does now. And I think he's trying to, and it's interesting to watch someone try because you watch so many, I mean, we, we know all of the kids celebrity stories and the, the difficulty of child fame and, and also adult fame and, and people who can't quite make their way out of that in one way or another. And I can't think of that many instances of someone being this open about that process. Like as it is happening. And it's still very much happening. I mean, he talks about how he's never been in one place for as long as he has been during the pandemic. I thought about that a lot with celebrities. I feel like I brought it up often with the Backstreet Boys, but like this has to be the longest that like several of them have ever been in one place. And like they've been doing this for almost 30 years. Right. And there's that anecdote about how he doesn't work after 6 p.m. And even he like tried to go to the studio at 530 and Haley like stops him and is like, no, you're not going to do that. And I, I think we all feel a little bit that's a little bit more possible in the pandemic. Yeah, of, Like enforcing like a strict schedule and your own boundaries. And when kind of, you know, great capitalism comes roaring back, which I think we all feel it nipping at our heels right now. Um, how do you maintain that? How do you adjust it for like a life that isn't as controlled as it seems that his is right now? I, I don't know. I mean, if he finds out, I would love to know because I, I too am nervous about that transition. Um, I think we all, <laughs> we all well. are. Yeah. Me as well. Yeah. <gasps> oh God. Life. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great piece. Tell Zach I really enjoyed it. Oh, well, he knows that you are a particular Justin Bieber watcher. So he actually was like, do you know whether Juliet's read it yet? I'm not <laughs> like making that up. So he'll be excited to hear it. Um, um it's just so funny. I, I think that like, he's like a real, just like study and celebrity for me. And I, I think because I liked that movie so much, the, um, never say never, which was mm-hmm. 10 years ago, which is how mm-hmm. I was able to date him so quickly. Um, I remember seeing it on my 25th birthday. Um, uh, it's just weird to like watch someone grow up like that because even though he took a break and, you know, I was reminded of like Taylor Swift took, took a break, which I'd kind of forgotten about. Like mm-hmm. she took a year off or, from the public eye or whatever. Um, it's just so weird to watch people evolve. Like, it's like, you don't often get to have that with someone you don't know really, you know? Um, and it's a real evolution. Absolutely. And I, I was thinking a little bit about this in terms of, obviously we've all been talking about Britney Spears more in the last few months after the uh, New York times documentary. And I think if Britney Spears is one of, if not the defining celebrity stories of kind of the 2000s to to the 2010s, which is when you and I were kind of like my formative celebrity watching years. That's how my brain was engineered for better. And like, I think for a lot worse in most cases. Um, Then I think there's a real argument that Justin Bieber is the last decades, certainly one of the signature celebrities. I think Kanye is somewhere in there but it's, and it's probably also the last decade as well, but just in and terms of, yeah, but in, but Justin Bieber in particular, in terms of child star, in terms of being discovered on the internet, um, yeah. the YouTube per- thing is like, exactly. Yeah. And, um, running into a lot of problems in the, in the public eye. And it's, 
so it's fascinating to watch kind of the next decade. And 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 in a lot of ways, it's just like a the newest version of child star trying to figure out, figure it out as an adult star. Um, but I, I don't really remember this level of transparency about it. Me neither. It's cool. I'm also happy he's got a, a, some level of control over it that's yeah. healthy for him versus I'm only Britney Spears. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Yeah. All right. Lastly, last topic of the day. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Prince Philip, longest serving consort in the history of the United the United Kingdom monarchy. I love how that fact keeps being bandied about, like longest serving consort. It's like, congrats on a long marriage. I, what do we going to say to that? <laughs> I mean, it's. I guess that's what he's most famous for when it boils down to it. It's it, I, he was the longest serving consort. They were married for seventy three years, I believe. That's a long time. Say what you will about this royal family, which we've said a lot in the past. I'm not a fan of Prince Philip. I can't imagine what it's like for the queen to have lived very close to her whole life with this one guy tethered to her, um, even if they weren't always in the same place, that he's just not there anymore. That has to be like an absence that I find so heartbreaking and, um, I, but like, I also like, I'm, I'm personally in a fight with the royal family. So it's like a real, <laughs> a real conflict of feeling. Like I feel so sad for that 
phenomenon of uh, that, that emptiness and that void that must be felt. But I'm also just like, I read a lot of quotes from Prince Philip over the last years, last few years. And I'm just like, this dude had some serious problems with, um, his perception of the world. So I just like, it's complicated. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. It has been fascinating to watch this on a number of levels. I, I too agree with you that it's very sad when you think about the queen, uh, who was married to this person for 73 years. She's 94 years old. It's like, it's a real sense of loss. I am aware, even as I say that, that the queen I'm thinking of in my head is the queen that I know from the crown. Sure. And that the crown has done so much PR work for these people in order to make me think that I know what the relationships are like and that like that this meaning, this is sad to me, right? Because I watched four seasons of a television show, which is just like- It's funny you say that because there was such an emphasis on like their marriage mm-hmm. as like in, in the wake of his death. And by many accounts, there was many bad stretches. And um, like some like some of the- obituaries that like focused on his service work at the beginning of their marriage. And like, yeah, that's when he was cheating on her. We saw it on the crown and it was just such like a, there's just so many elephants unacknowledged in many of these write-ups. I will say the New York times fucking went for it right after his death. His death was announced. They posted a piece that was originally published or they recirculated a piece that was originally published in 2017. That was a list of quotes from Prince Philip and they do not paint him in a good light. And I think it, I I was really interested in the fact that they circulated those so quickly. Um, I thought it was responsible. Actually. I was like, kind of glad that this was out there to cut against some of the other, um, tributes. And it's just been, but it's just been interesting. So close to the Megan and Harry interview, seeing how the press and, uh, has negotiated this. Yes. There were, I mean, the media stuff has been fascinating. And there has been the definite, we all watched The Crown, and so we're understanding this in the context of The Crown. And even to some extent, people are grieving a television character rather than a real person, to the point that one of Philip's biographers has come out and been like, that's not actually who he was on The Crown, but I like I not because of the unflattering marital portrait that it portrays, but just because it doesn't do enough to talk about his service, which is just you know, a little bit of someone trying to get their moment in the spotlight, I would say, but also that's been one vein. And then there has been the other vein, which was examining Philip in a historical context and what does it mean and what did he do and what was he besides someone who was a symbol of a now, someone who is a symbol of an empire who then said a bunch of like deeply insensitive and cruel things in public for like 70 years. Um, and also did do a lot to serve the country. And I like, again, I don't mean to speak completely ill of a, a person who passed away last week, but it was fascinating. I caught some of the BBC world service Oh, interesting! on Friday because I was driving to a doctor's appointment. And I have to tell you, it could have been recorded in 1957. I, like, it wasn't actually because it had um, facts from more recent than 1957. I think it was, like, done fairly recently. But in 
in it, in its tone and in what it was trying to honor by honoring Prince Philip, it was like, well, we just got to go back 50 years. A friend of mine who lives in London sent me a photo that was like from the subway that was just like a makeshift sign that was like RIP Prince Philip, but like a formal statement on behalf of the tube service being like, we honor, you know, the Duke of Edinburgh. And it's, there is just this real tension between everything that Philip represented of just like an, a really old outdated monarchy that, and then the world that we live in, which is like, are we still, are we still doing this? It seems the the contradiction. And once again, it's just kind of like, I can't believe that they're still a Royal family. I'm clearly fascinated by it still, despite all my efforts to be like, Nope, I'm not listening to this anymore. But just the total anachronistic nature of it became very clear. Yeah. It, it, it's sort of like the emphasis on the marriage and him being consort. I mm-hmm. think is sort of like what else is there to celebrate? Not because not be, taking all of the sort of like um, thorny stuff about the royal family aside, it's just like his actual function was so limited. I so, mean, it's, it's basically like when Nancy Reagan died. That's the yeah. American comparison. But if Nancy Reagan had been Nancy Reagan for 70 years. Yeah. Um, and but because the royal family exists only for pomp and circumstance and to like to have this be a big deal and to have people mourn some sort of like national grandfather figure that doesn't totally exist right now, it just becomes just bizarre. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. I'm I'm pleased that this dominant narrative, while it's out there, has not been about like if Megan and Harry will be attending. They very quickly said Harry's attending and Megan can't, which I'm like really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't looking forward to another round of litigating that. Oh, um, I it, it was out there already. Yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't great. This is but... the outcome I think we all knew was going to happen anyway. So like, whatever. I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I mean, it's funny just because Megan and Harry emphasized their relationship with Philip a lot in the last few weeks. So mm-hmm. I feel like he's been kind of more of a talking point than he might've been, but, um, it's, it's just sad for the queen. So, and the family, I thought, I thought Charles's comments were sweet. It's also funny. Like every single member of the family who's spoken, which included Andrew, I'll just note has noted that Philip be like, all right, let's get on with it. Like moving on, like just wouldn't want a big to do around it. Just like wanted to like keep moving forward, which, um, it's kind of funny. seems like he was very true to himself for better and probably for worse. <laughs> just, it's it's very strange you know the funeral is later this week and I think that that is I mean it's it can't be the occasion that I believe it was originally planned to be which like they even mentioned the plans for it in season four of the crown so these yeah. things have been planned since literally the 80s um but because of COVID they won't be doing that but and it won't be a state funeral I think but it will still, I believe, be televised. And I think that it is being treated as like a national occasion in the UK, which... No day off, though. I think it's on Saturday. That's why. Yes, it is on on a Saturday. Um, I'll be watching. Will you like watch live or will you just watch some clips? I'll DVR it. Okay. To watch when I wake up. Okay. I probably will as well, I guess, but it does feel pretty strange to be just at a like 
a family that I don't know's like small funeral. It's only small because of COVID. They would certainly make it big if it were not COVID. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, it just the cognitive dissonance between just the the world that we live in now and the fact that the royal family is still trying to do pomp and circumstance. I I am aware that I am part of the reason it's still happening because I consume Same. all of it. But it just is, it feels like it's from another time. It really does. Yeah. Nevertheless, I'll be watching. I love a, <laughs> love a televised live event of, of state functions. Yeah. <laughs> um, well... We'll report back on how it is if you're not a maniac and don't want to watch. And uh, we'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.